Hello and welcome to episode 11 of No Blueprint featuring Jennifer Harper, founder of Cheekbone Beauty, but also named Woman of the Year for Shadowline Magazine 2019. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I want to first uh, pay homage to the creator for all things to align for us to connect here today. Really grateful for that. Um, big shout out to all of our audience who are tuning in on whatever platform you're listening to us. We're really grateful for your support. And I also uh, want to pay homage to the land that I reside on. I'm here on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. So shout out to our Algonquin relatives. Uh, so I just wanted to pay my homages. And before we really dive deep, I also wanted to check in with you and see how you're doing through these COVID times. You know, we've uh, we've been really fortunate that we have this incredible community of people from across North America and globally, for that matter, that support Cheekbone Beauty and our purpose and the reason we exist was was and it is and always has been um, empowering Indigenous youth. So we have this incredible group that supports that cause and has stayed with us throughout this very very difficult, um, extremely scary global pandemic pandemic um and i just i can't believe how supportive this this group of people really really are and i i sit in complete gratitude and i know for many businesses this has not been a great time people are rethinking strategy business direction all of that um you know if they were scaling how they're going to do it distribution channel supply chain like there's just so many issues happening when it comes to business we're having a lot of those issues as well specifically supply chain but our community has still been here and supporting us and the first few weeks when when the pandemic started and um well for us here in canada and when things started to shut down that got really really scary and as an entrepreneur um you don't it really put it in perspective that we have no idea ultimately what the future holds as much as we think we have things in control. Uh, we really don't. So I did enjoy that time of as scared as I was and worried and all, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm also always thinking that every something is going to fail at any given moment. And when, when is this going to crash or when is this going to happen or what problem am I, I going to have to solve? Uh, but the uh that it gave me that whole week well when it got really scary it was so weird i i just i actually got really really calm and quiet and and started to rethink even our business plans amazing that's a great time to self-reflect kind of reanalyze your strategies and i think that's one of the interesting gifts through these COVID times is that it's allowed a lot of people to figure out how they're going to pivot their business, be a little bit more economical, be a little bit more environmentally friendly, however they want to scale or scale back. I think it's really interesting to see that. And I think I'm really thankful and excited that a company like yourself, Cheekbone Beauty, has survived through these COVID times. I think I get really passionate about entrepreneurship and especially seeing our indigenous entrepreneurs rise and shine. Um, it really gets me excited. So the fact that you've been able to maintain through these COVID times is, is really grateful. So I totally hear you on that idea of gratitude. Um, it's a lot of thankfulness to the creator for the support for us to survive through these times because, you know, heaven forbid, there is some of us out there who, who aren't doing so well. So to hear your story about survival and resilience through these COVID times, I think is amazing. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. And I, I truly appreciate that you acknowledge the creator because none of this is, is uh, possible. Anything that we do in life is not possible without the creator. So I, I certainly appreciate that, that sentiment and really value that statement is it, it like, I really it, that touches my heart that you mentioned that, um, you know, it is hard because when you're in business, I, I constantly live in this state of, oh my goodness, the most amazing things are happening. And then, oh my goodness, the company is going to crumble and we're going to lose everything. And there is like, I always say this to Indigenous youth, especially because I'm like, if you cannot live in that state of complete uncertainty, entrepreneurship is definitely not for you, but don't exclude it. Like give it a try, but realize that like that is truly entrepreneurship when you things can seem like they're going extremely well and then the next moment something can completely fall apart and fail but it's always about and this is what i love because this applies to our people so well that you know we have this resilient dna that is in in it, it's it's pumping through our veins this blood uh that we can just rise above so that is what is really interesting about being an entrepreneur even if you were to fail fall flat on your face you can still get back up and try again, right? Like, I love that. I love that too. And I think you're bringing up a great key point that I hope our listening, listeners are picking up, that entrepreneurship isn't always flowers and rainbows and full sprouted gardens. Like, there's, there's hard times. And if you're not willing to go through the hard times, entrepreneurship may not necessarily be for you. Um, but if you are willing to stick through the grind, the grit, the dirt, and uh, your sense of purpose is more important than that struggle, you're going to get there. And I think you and I both can relate the amazing, beautiful journey that entrepreneurship can be when you get through those struggling times. It just makes it that much more worth it. Yeah. So I relate to that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. That's those times where you you don't necessarily see the way out. Um, and there's all kinds of different options. That's the most interesting thing. There is no maybe right or perfect path. So there could be 10 options or solution to solving that particular problem that your business is currently facing. Um, but it's about you getting in there, figuring it out. Like you said, gritty. I love, I love the concept of grit because yes. it really uh, drives home that idea of that if you just you stay in it and you just keep going through it, that you will eventually get through it. And that's, I mean, when you're in it, it's hard. It's very, very hard. But when you come out of those particular situations, they really just set you up for so much success. The next time the big problem comes, cause that's going to happen. Like that's just Bye. like, <laughs> well said. So before we dive too deep, cause I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Jennifer, I wanted to, I wanted you to help take us back a little bit and just share a little bit of uh, where you grew up, where you're from, and what was family life like growing up for Jennifer Harper? Yeah, um, so I grew up in the Niagara region where I still live with my family. It's, I, we live in a town, it's called St. Catherine, so it's like 20 minutes from Niagara Falls and about an hour and 10 minutes from Toronto. And, uh, but I was born in Thunder Bay and that it was my parents had met while my mom was a student at Lakehead and they worked together at a fishing lodge. Lo and behold, I happen. And uh, they moved to Toronto together, but they're an extremely young couple. I think my, my father was a little bit older. My, my mom was only um, 20 when she had me, so still very, very young. Uh, their relationship 
didn't last very long, but um, my mom ended up taking a job and moving to Niagara. So that's where I ended up living with her for most of my life. I got to spend a lot of time with my dad back and forth because he still lived in Toronto. When I was 14, he moved him and um, his, his new family or my new siblings with my, my stepmother back to Northwest Angle 33, uh, which is the First Nation that I come from or a registered member of, but I have actually never lived there. I've only visited there and that's where a lot of my family still lives today, including my father. Uh, and when my dad moved back there, it's really unfortunate because I didn't get to spend all of, all of those um, later teen years with him. Uh, and it really didn't do such a great job on our relationship. Looking back now, I know so much about him and his family, understanding that he was obviously suffering from what we all now know is called generational trauma in so many ways, like whether that be um, a substance issue or anger issues or whatever. The issue, the list of our <laughs> issues for any human being can go on really, really long. But as I matured and grew up and did my own research and started studying um, the, uh, the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, final report in 2015. So I was 38 at that time. So I'd spent like a lot of years away from my father and including my siblings. And then I, in, I was probably about in my thirties when I started to reconnect with, with my brothers. Um, thank goodness for things like Facebook, cause that's where everybody was, but at least you could start reconnecting with some family members and that started to happen and then reached out and started building an, a, a relationship with my dad again, which we hadn't talked in like, a, like almost 20 years and then I made it my mission that before I turned 40 that I was going to Northwest Angle and I was going to um, see him in person at least that in my court before my 40th birthday so I did do that and it was such an interesting and eye-opening period of time because me studying now the history of residential school learning that that's what where my grandmother had been and spent 10 years of her young life learning the trauma that she had to deal with, then goes on to try to have eight children or has eight children, but trying to raise children when you're suffering from trauma is not an easy task. And, you know, many, um, many people without healing the wounds of our past, we can't create better futures for ourselves. And I really see that my grandmother was in that position uh, and, you know, raised these eight children. And unfortunately, then they have the side effects of, generational trauma or the residential school system. And that it was ultimately, as we all know now, passed on to, to the next generation, which was me and my siblings. Um, but learning about that really, really helped me accept and understand my father and mm -hmm. for who he was. And here's the funny thing about healing. When you heal yourself, you can then go and realize that people can only do that the best they can with what they have and what they know. Expecting anything else from someone who cannot do that is absolutely kind of ridiculous, right? Like how can somebody be that person that, that you're expecting them to be when they weren't taught or trained or knew how to be that way? And so my dad has always been like, I think a lot of native parents, a man of very few words, but he did, you know, he expressed that um, it, it was a shame that we spent that much of time apart but he'd always loved me. And I mean, that was like such a crucial thing to hear. It's just yeah, so yeah. simple. And it was me accepting in my own healing journey that that's the best that he could do mm. with what he had. And he's, he is a great, he's a great man. He's a great person. 
um, who always loved his kids, but we don't, when you're, when you're not well or not healed, you don't necessarily know how to maybe show that in how your children expect it, which again is now I love living in, in this state of zero expectations from anyone because you really, you never feel disappointed when you don't expect anything. Right. So, but I only learned that later in life and I get to meet so many young people like yourself who are figuring that out so much earlier than I did. Mm. And I absolutely admire that so much because the sooner you can heal, the sooner you can be live in a constant state of self-awareness and that realizing that, um, making ourselves better as people is that's a lifelong journey, right? Like there's no, there's no end game to that until we, until we die. (laughs) But while we're in this life living and breathing and having relationships, there's no better life than feeling great about yourself so that you can in turn like love other people. I learned something in my, in my journey that was really interesting and really a hard concept for me to understand before getting well was that I ultimately could not love other human beings, including my children and husband and mom, um, as much as I loved myself. So it's not selfish when you're actually on a journey to love Mm. yourself because you're doing that so you can be the best mom, wife, cousin, mom, uh, daughter, whatever. Mm. But it's so important to love yourself. Powerful words, Jennifer. Um, You've spoken on so many incredible things just in reflecting about where you grew up and and where you're from. And I think that idea of resilience and healing yourself and self-love, like I love talking about that because I really think that that discourse of self-love should be talked about more freely. And sometimes the way it sounds, it might sound soft, but it's one of the hardest things that you can do in life is love yourself. And I can honestly relate, like there was a moment where I didn't know what that meant. And when I really started to reflect on what that means to appreciate yourself and who you are and what your gifts are, it totally changed the, the trajectory of my life and the choices that I've made. So I totally relate to that. And I was raised with three grandmothers and just hearing your story, I'm realizing now that I've never heard anything about residential schools from them themselves. I learned about residential schools on my own. My mother did a great job at teaching me on where I come from. Both of my parents, my dad's, my dad's from Kingston, Jamaica. They met in Regina. Um, so I'm, I'm an Afro-Indigenous person. But they both did a great job at making sure I knew where I come from and going to and from Ocean Man First Nation and visiting my grandmothers and learning from them was very important. But I'm always curious to hear the stories from our guests uh, when they started learning about their identity and about our true history, because it came late for me. And I, I, I shared that, that pre-context because it wasn't until um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's first national event in Winnipeg, I was sports tent coordinator, which is the experience I learned about that part of our history. Wow. And so it was that moment moving forward that I really started to take pride in being a healthy version of an indigenous person and what that means and represent for our people and represent for my family. So I'm really curious um, from our guests, so yourself included, um, when did you start learning about your identity and, you know, your true history? Yeah. um, So I know I'm older than you. So mine was even later than you. So it wasn't until um, I started reading 
I never loved reading as a youth. I don't know why. I think I was, you know, when, when I look back now, I realize that I just, I wasn't paying attention because I didn't love myself enough to who I was really supposed to be. So, and reading and learning is part of who I'm supposed to be because I now realize how much I absolutely love that. So I started reading just a couple books really early on, probably like in my thirties again, when I'm reconnecting with my family. Um, the Inconvenient Indian was, I think, one of the first books I read. Wow. And then from there on, just like um, buried my heart at Wounded Knee. Uh, was one then it's and it's long and complicated and painful like a lot of these books are so painful but um it truly helped me and still I like I, I try to pick I just finished Jesse Thistle's book from the ashes um which is incredible as well and that's just one of like and then now that's like a real life story of a of an indigenous person who caught got you know because of family trauma was caught up in addiction and I really can relate to his story um, because I too have overcome addiction. So it was just a powerful read in the sense of like it's addicts, man. Like it's amazing what we will go through until we finally get well. Like it blows my mind now when I look back and like, why didn't I get healthier a lot sooner? But again, that relates back to the, the self-love. When you don't love yourself, you will do things that destroy your body, your mind, your heart, and your soul, right? You're not doing anything to heal those things and help them grow and, and foster that love for yourself. So um, that's part of it. But um, yeah, so it was late and it was literally in my 30s into, into now. I still, I'm still learning. I, like every day is just another opportunity to learn more and as much as I can. Uh, about us and our history. And I feel ashamed that for many, many years, and, and I mean, I'm not ashamed where I'm beating myself up anymore for it, but I was ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of the history of Indigenous people because I didn't know the truth. Um, and I say that with such regrets that, whoa, like what a beautiful culture. What, like, how fortunate am I to be who I am and I can't believe I allowed outside sources the rest of the world non-indigenous people to put these ideas about who I am in my head mm. but that's not us that's not me but I allowed that to happen and I really I truly regret it and as a mom much like your mom and your grandmothers are doing I'm really trying to um, and my husband, non-Indigenous, but really does a great job at helping our both of our children try to be really proud of who they are, both their heritages. My husband's Italian, Irish, and I'm uh, uh, Ojibwe and Irish. And so just be proud of who they are and where they came from and learn about all aspects of all of your cultures and who you are and embrace that because identity um, and struggling with identity is it's such a it's such a tumultuous and painful period of life. And I find in your teen years is, is where a lot of that self-discovery and identity issues start. Um, and unfortunately, the time that I was growing up in, in my teen years, being indigenous, indigenous was still um, frowned upon. And people had those stereotypes and ideals of who we were and why we were the way we were. And I didn't want to be those things without learning the truth. So I'm grateful. I'm a grateful um, recovered many things, but specifically grateful that I am so proud of, of who I am, who my family is, like just most, the most beautiful people in, <laughs> that you could possibly want to be surrounded by, really. 
Listen, I could hear you talk about that all day. I think our, our people and our culture are extremely beautiful. Our relationship to the land, um, the nature around us and in the sense of how it provides us with teachings, I think is one of the most intelligent ways of living life. Um, and I wanted to reflect because hearing what you're sharing um, is making me reflect on a couple things. The first one was the stereotype that used to be about Indigenous people, um, that stigma of how they painted that picture of the type of person we, wa we were, um, was one thing. And I think it's, it's changed over time as that door of hearing our true history has kind of opened. But one of the things that really clicked for me um, as of recently was the difference between who we are as a people and what happens to us. And that dark history that you were referring to is what happened to us. And so when I left the TRC, I was so angry. I was extremely upset. Um, and I was, I was wanting to do something with that anger. But I was also inspired at the same time. Like that was such a confusing moment. But it was so important because I wanted to I decided to channel that energy of anger and hate into being the best version of myself, which is what my mom has always taught me to do, that that's one of the biggest gifts in life. Um, and one of the hardest things that you can achieve is being the best version of yourself. And you can integrate all the teachings that come along with our beautiful indigenous culture to provide you that support along the way. So I just wanted to reflect a little bit when you were sharing that. I think it's really important. And so one of the other things I wanted to know was who was Jennifer Harper before Cheekbone Beauty? Like what kind of jobs did you do um, before? Um, what was that like? Uh, so I had spent the last 12 years in sales and marketing for food industry companies. So I was with, I'm sure everybody's seen them, Cisco, which is a broadline food distribution company, delivers to like restaurants, hotels, resorts. Um, hospitals, all of those sorts of things. And then I left that position to take a position at a seafood company. So instead of selling everything to those kinds of businesses, I was just specifically focused on seafood. And if you'll, you'll notice with Cheekbone, we're really wanting to move our business into the most sustainable version of ourselves that we possibly can. So even when I was in my seafood role that I would, you know, constantly talk to my clients and customers about sustainability and how they could pick better ocean choices and what companies are doing great things in terms of sustainability. So it's, it's interesting how that desire to always choose a better way to do something that that's always uh, been innately in me. But again, you know, Jennifer before Cheekbone Beauty was was not not always the nicest person. Uh, I had struggled bad with badly with alcoholism for about six years until 2014. So if you know the Cheekbone story, I get sober in 2014 and literally had the dream to start building it in 2015. Um, and I'm I'm really open and honest. Like I have friends and colleagues that I worked with through those years. Um, I would meet them, customers. And when I would, got sober, I wasn't telling people, you know, you, you, you don't necessarily um, share all of those details with everyone that you meet, right? Uh, now I do. <laughs> I guess I'm overtly proud of being a recovered alcoholic. But um, 
So customers would be like, what happened? Like what's going on? And then I would, you know, the close clients, I would give a little bit more details and they're like, it's unbelievable, the transformation. And it was literally, and this is what I am so passionate about sharing with our youth as well, because that concept of making a mistake or mistakes um, in life and thinking that that's the end. Mm. It is not like mistakes teach us so much big, small, no matter what they are. And I'm really um, passionate about reframing how we all think about mistakes, you know, especially in this day and age of social media. Um, you know, the, there's so many things I regret about those years, um, but I can't go back and change them. Number one. But all I could do was try to become like your mom had taught you be the best version of myself realizing at the same time that the broken version was also not necessarily completely my fault, that that was a system that had failed me and my people for, for many generations, but understanding after all of the, the trauma and in, in the years of me uh, not living my best life that I could overcome that. And that's, I think the message that I'm really want to, to get across to our youth is that, you know, whether it's your parents or your grandparents that you may see have problems or you yourself feel like you may be developing a problem or have made mistakes because of, you know, that crazy night, wherever, whatever, <laughs> gone on social media, but not making because kids, I know, remember when you're a teenager and I do this to myself because I have teenagers now um, and thinking about like that, that moment in time was like all there is and there was nothing outside of that but just realizing that are just mistakes. Um, and there's things, of course, we're not always going to be proud of, um, but we can change. Human beings change. And that all starts with even how we behave online, right? Like we see so many times, and I find this so painful, that somebody makes a mistake and it's public. Number one, they have a responsibility to get really humble <laughs> and own up to their mistake. But let's stop like beating the crap out of people who have who have made mistakes and then maybe change their ways. Right. Like, and I, and obviously anyone can say any day I'm passionate about that because I am a person that has made many mistakes and I'm grateful that I've over overcome that lifestyle and changed who I was. Like literally I talk about it, like ripping a house down to its foundation. And I had to rebuild myself, my character, all of these things. Like I, you know, I had a great career, but I was only obsessed with making money and more money and buying more things. And none of that matters. None of that stuff matters. And I know when you're young and you're, you know, like I even struggle with telling this to my kids, they're like, but I want all this stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't matter who you are. That's what matters and how you treat people. That's what matters. Right. I love that story about not being afraid of mistakes. I think a lot of people, develop a lot of hesitation to maybe become an entrepreneur because they're afraid of potential mistakes that they might make. And I can definitely relate to what you're saying. I've made so many mistakes myself, but I think one of the people that have really helped push me to understand and articulate it in a way is like this guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you've heard of him, yeah. but huge serial <laughs> entrepreneur. You've met him? Yeah. Wow. And I feel like his, his idea of not being afraid of mistakes and running towards them, I think makes so much sense because like you were saying, you learn the most from those mistakes. So 
Um, as a follow-up question to that, what were some of the mistakes that you may have made or what did some of that um, life experience in your previous occupations, how did it help prepare you for what you're doing now? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the mistakes rate relate to like my character. When you, when I'm in a position that's like competitive nature and sales, like I would be like at all costs, like I don't care almost who I'm hurting to get to the top. Not that I like killed anybody or anything, but, but it was just that idea of like having to be the best in, in like this constant state of competition and, and really not being concerned about other people's feelings. As silly as that sounds, I am so grateful that I've learned to be more concerned about other people's feelings now than my own. Right. Like, and that is, that is, I feel maybe it comes with maturity. I don't know, but I am really concerned about other people and I want you, uh, I want to make other people feel good. Like that's just, I get joy from that now. Whereas that old me didn't, I was more, I was so selfish, so selfish. And so that is just one of the, like, and the mistakes that, you know, having friendships and saying mean stuff to people. And I know everybody goes through all these things, but then when it comes to business, like, uh, you know, you can make huge mistakes financially by signing contracts that you probably shouldn't have and did more research on. Like that's a big mistake we, I made last year making a deal with um, an agency that the contract was six months and I should have did it. You know, now for me, I'll never make a more than month by month contract with anyone. Um, but it's little, those things and they are costly and, uh, you learn your lesson, you know, we're, we're such a, we're so small in terms of being a business. Like, I feel like we're going to constantly still be making mistakes, uh, as, as we go and build and we're growing, um, at really quickly that it's hard to, to keep up someday. So of course you're going to make mistakes when you don't even have enough people around yet and hired, like we're in the middle of like, we need an operations manager and we need more part-time people and we need an HR person, like, and the list could go on, but those are the things like literally right now I can afford to hire. Um, but, um, yeah, so for sure, I hope everybody realizes like just, and two, when this is what I loved early on, I remember, um, our, our first designer that helped us with our, our logo and she, she was a real perfectionist which is great because she's in graphics design and that's her business but I was like um, just so adamant about like let's just get things done and get it out there and start and seeing getting feedback from people um, so it's really interesting in realizing that um, when you're building something you don't have to wait nothing there's no perfect time there's no perfect product that you're gonna put out whether it's a service or a consumer good like cheekbone beauty, um, you need to just like start and, and stop waiting for that perfect time. I think a lot of people hold themselves back when they're building businesses or in life or in relationships, like hint, hint to anybody who's in the, like, don't like, just put yourself out there and go for it and try, right? Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work and you try again or figure out a new way. But I like, just make the mistakes. <laughs> Just make the mistakes and you'll figure it out and you'll be better as a result. Yes, exactly. exactly. So one of the things that I found really inspiring about your journey from what I learned about you in preparing for this was um, something that I can relate to you. I think a lot of Indigenous people can relate. I received this teaching about dreams um, in my like mid-early 20s. And in our podcast with Andrew Menard, I I'm, I'm finding how often I'm referring to Andrew Menard. She's just such an amazing human being. But 
the idea of dreams and how that becomes the blueprint for your life. And Andrew Menard really helped articulate that. And that that was the same teaching that I received in some of my research in uh, learning about our people and our cultural practices was that those dreams are a vision and a gift from creator that is helping you to navigate what your life journey is meant to be in the future. And so those dreams are not something to take lightly. They're something that um, if you can manifest, you'll be able to learn about yourself, um, your strengths, and develop a deeper sense of purpose as a result. So how can you relate to dreams? And how has dreams been part of the creation story for Cheekbone Beauty? Well, it really is the, the whole story. Um, yeah, I, I really grapple with um, try, like articulating this, that I really believe, you know, we are the products of the work we put in in life. That's, it's just that simple, right? So um, I'm not a big like nighttime dreamer. Again, I know some people are, but I generally am not. Like I don't remember dreams. It's very, I've probably had like, I don't know, five in my life that stand out. Like one, when I was a little kid, that was like a super scary dream about this man, the rope man. <laughs> and I didn't know it was just horrible, but that dream I remember. And everyone's heard about my dream about building cheekbone beauty. And it wasn't that it was like definitive or layered into the ideas of the business and strategy and all those things. It was just this beautiful and kind of readable dream. And there was all of the native little girls in the dream and they were covered in lip gloss, but the feeling, and that's when I talk about feelings and helping people um, want to just feel better. It was seeing how they were laughing their little heads off and just like the joy was like electric. And, and that's what I remember the most about that dream. So getting up that night and literally planning and making the business plan, right? Like not, um, and, and really getting on in print in a document of what I wanted to do. And that was the beginning of, I'm going to make lip gloss and start this foundation of my grandmother's name, who is Emily Paul. And she was the residential school survivor. So from that moment became this pathway of a ton of work, but a, that has been planned out where you're still making mistakes. Um, but then you're learning and figuring out a new, a new, a new pathway in the same direction of building from that idea. So it's so interesting when I shared another story about, um, I think you use the word manifestation and I really do like that because we are our thoughts, our thoughts literally become a reality. So what we think, including loving ourselves and not I, I always want to preface like not loving yourself like you think you're the greatest and you have all this ego and self-confidence. Loving yourself is actually really humble, right? Like it's, you've got to know that there's this perfect balance because there's nothing more that I think turns off most of us human beings than meeting someone who is acting like they love themselves. But we know that when you act like that, you really probably don't love yourself, that you're putting on this mm. false sense of um, confidence that really is not true. Right. So it's being very like, it's this fine line when you actually to master, um, loving yourself enough so that you can be the best of who you are and then in turn, love other people and help, help them on your path. But, um, early on after a lot of, I remember at my one job, um, and I've shared this story before that I worked at, when I went for training at the one position when I was at Cisco and I'd never been in sales before, which really um, is super helpful. I think when you're becoming an entrepreneur, because you get, 
when you're in a sales role, you get a lot of rejection and that just builds your tenacity, which is really <laughs> helpful because you get a lot of rejection as an entrepreneur as well. Um, but I wrote on this, like, uh, it was like a questionnaire and it said, what would be your dream job? So this is like back in 2008, having not a clue, not a clue about cheekbone beauty. I wrote to be the CEO of a major cosmetics brand, never being in the beauty industry. Um, but I absolutely love the beauty industry. I've always have, I've always been an avid consumer, but then discovering how that is obviously something that I've been really passionate about my entire life. Cause I have and like products. I love all of this stuff hanging out at beauty shops and touching and feeling everything. But then literally putting that thought or idea on that piece of paper that day. And then you work kind of in your whole life, you're going down the, this path in this direction, but it's ultimately something that you've created in, in a sense. Right. So we don't necessarily know exactly where like time um, and unforeseen occurrences, like those are things that we cannot control COVID. We cannot control, but we can have an idea or a sense about what we love and are passionate about in life. And then you can ultimately put that into something that you want to do. So work is something we all have to spend a lot of time doing. Why not do something that you love and are passionate about? So when, after having that dream about cheekbone beauty, I thought and learned more about the beauty industry. And I was like, this is crazy competitive. Mm. Like I was, no one needs another lipstick brand. Like let's get serious. They don't. So who would, who, why would I think that I could make a brand that could even compete with what we're, what, what the market already had. Um, but I knew that if I was going to do this and this purpose of like, just this driving force of helping indigenous kids see how valuable they are, how much they matter and, and layering that within this mission of creating um, a cosmetic brand that is a lot more. It's not about lipstick. It's about doing that and, and seeking that purpose and making sure that our youth see their faces and, and just feel how valued they are. Um, layered on top of that, that brand didn't exist. So I knew that I could right. create that. But again, so it's like understanding that that's over time that you're figuring all of the, the, those things out, right? And if I was going to do this, um, head down this path of entrepreneurship, what I, which I've never been down before, I've never owned my own business. I don't even have um, immediate family members that own their own businesses. But I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make this risk and take this risk that I wanted to do something I loved and was passionate about. And it was those two things that was, was like that perfect intersection for me to take the risk to enter into an extremely competitive industry. Amazing. I think I really want to highlight to our listeners that all of this started with a dream. And sometimes that's all you need. And hold on to that dream and not give up on it. Work hard at manifesting because that dream might be that thing that you love, that you love to do and that you do what you love. And I think that's just the best life lived is when you're doing both of those things. And I think life experience will also fill in the blanks for you. You were speaking about how you, you weren't, you didn't know anything about the cosmetic industry. You had no idea, but you did it anyways. You gave it a shot. You weren't afraid of the mistakes that came with it. And as a result, here you are living your best life. And all of that started with a dream. So I hope our listeners pick that up that, you know, if you have a dream to make your life 
something significant. If you have something that you're dreaming of accomplishing, work at manifesting that because who knows what your life will be as a result of that. So I wanted to highlight that. And I also wanted to get into a little bit about education because I'm a huge advocate for education. But I personally have not finished a post-secondary degree. I don't have any college. I barely graduated high school, but it, was been, it has been passion. It has been determination and perseverance that got me here, where I'm now doing a job that I love what I do. I do what I love. I'm able to, you know, I have a great career in music. And I feel this No Blueprint podcast has been an amazing journey connecting with incredible Indigenous people throughout Turtle Island. So I wanted to know from your experience, what has been your learning journey in the art of cosmetics and acquiring the knowledge to become a self-employed entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, So again, all of that work experience. So we said 12 years. I too am not a post-secondary grad. Um, getting through high school was a big challenge for me as well. I was not a great student. Um, Realizing now that the system, we have to realize this, and having two kids both in high school is not designed for everyone. The way the current system works, the current education system, and just understanding that it's not, and I always felt like I was stupid. I really did, but I know I'm not now. I know I'm not stupid, um, but I thought I was as a teenager, which is, that's really tragic if, if a kid is made to feel like they're not smart enough because they're, they're not fitting that mold, right? But um, did graduate high school um, and always went on to find jobs and then was like pushed into leadership roles at these jobs. And, and so there was obviously skills and maybe traits that I had that someone else saw in me, which was always, that's always a beautiful thing, right? To, to have know that someone else sees this amazing thing in you. So, um, throughout my entire career, and I love telling this story to, to youth as well, because my first job, aside from being a little shampoo girl, my second, like, job that I stayed at wheel. I couldn't wash old ladies hair forever. I was just like, I would think I was like 15 and I was like, I can't do this <laughs> on Saturday morning. So anyway, I went to work at a restaurant and the job that they gave me was a dishwasher. And that was my entry into my, oh my goodness, like 15 years in 16 years in hot in the hospitality industry. And, um, but as a dishwasher, I will tell you that the chef, the cooks would be like, what are you doing? because I would like scrub the pots. Like they were going to be the best damn scrub pots anybody would ever see in their life. The whole station I would leave at night and it was sparkling and beautiful because no matter what job you have, you take pride in it and you Mm. do your best because that is your best. You're putting out your best. And I love the fact that I have this amazing mom who always like she, um, and it put that innate quality in both me and, and my brothers that she raised that were just extremely hard workers and whatever you're doing in life, you just go and you do your best no matter what it is. But it teaches you now looking back, realizing that even though I was, and people might say it was just the dishwasher. No, it was, I was the best dishwasher that that place had ever seen in my mind. And I wanted to do the best job, but then spending um, all of those years in hospitality creating, moving up to become uh, restaurant managers for like really super nice boutique hotels here in the Niagara region and creating the most amazing customer experiences 
for any customer that would it come into our properties. And I really took pride in that work as well. And I can see now looking back how that then plays into what we do at Cheekbone Beauty. We get emails and DMs all day long about their package arrived and the feelings we get to create mm. with people by how they open every order right. that gets shipped from us is wrapped up like it's a gift. Like I am adamant about our stickers being perfectly straight when they're put on. Our pink feather has to be laid in there nicely. And that customer has to feel like this is the best online order of anything that they've ever received. Respect. And I believe that, that those years in hospitality and details and, and, and just trying to make people feel better and really good about themselves has definitely intertwined. And, and you, I can see that in how it's helped me build Cheekbone Beauty. And then getting into sales and marketing obviously has helped me enormously being you know, I was a super shy kid. I can't imagine ever getting up in public speaking, but I, I do that now regularly. Um, but the years of training of walking up to chefs, hotel owners and wanting their business and, you know, landing, like I had a really successful career in sales, landing like the OLG, which is the casinos, right. supplying them their seafood um, and then building those relationships with those clients, some of them for like 12 years. Wow. And they're spending millions of dollars a year and I was their sales rep and I'm the one that built that relationship and got them to stay with those companies. So taking that part of my experience as well in building Cheekbone Beauty has been an enormous help. So understanding that all those things that we do in life will get you to that next spot. And, and um, they, it all intertwines about who you are and, and who you become. But um, as much as I can say this to people, it's hard, it's all hard work but it's all so worth it. So like, worth it. Yeah. Listen, I love this conversation because I can't help but feel this conversation is really a great opportunity for young people to hear what it takes to be an entrepreneur on top of hearing your story of Cheekbone Beauty and Jennifer Harper. Like, not only do you need a, a dream or a vision, but I think the amazing thing is, is that you can allow your life experience to also be part of your resume. And I think you and I both relate to that. So just because you may not have had an opportunity to go to post-secondary, or maybe if you have um, troubles in high school and you haven't graduated, you graduated late, whatever that case is, do not let that hold you back from figuring out what you want to do because life experience definitely is a value add in the jobs that you will apply for or in the career that you make for yourself. So do not give up on yourself. Do not give up on your dreams. Um, and I think you're going to learn along the way through all of those challenges. So I love everything that you had to say about that. Now, speaking of resilience, I think your story is a huge example of resilience, in my opinion. Um, I wanted to take a moment to dive into the Dragon's Den experience. So I actually have a clip that I want to pull up. I want to just show the last minute and a half of that Dragon's Den episode. It was just last year, right? Yeah, 2019. So this is yeah. relevant. Now, just to give a little context, this was the third time that you've applied to get on Dragon's Den. So it's not like you just got on. This was your first shot. This was the third time. And that's what I mean by resilience, determination and not giving up. So if you don't mind, indulge me a little bit and then we'll get into we'll get into your reflections on it. And by the way, you also had Leslie Hampton trailblazer in the fashion industry and kelly fraser 
Um, rest in peace. A visionary. But uh, Kelly Fraser, I had my, I had the opportunity to develop a relationship with her. An amazing spirit. So to see her on this episode with you is a legacy on its own. But check this out. I can't watch it. To oh, be that's okay. But like, I'll do it right now. But I, yeah. I, I, my daughter was like, let's watch this the other day. I'm like, no thanks. Um, because I just find it's too emotional, right? All right. Let's get into it. How about 125,000, as you suggested, for 30%? My problem, Jen, is the valuation of the company is already wrong. And I know the work that's in launching this to the non-Indigenous community. And unfortunately, I know what my time's worth and I know what I'm worth. So I'm not going to be able to. On an early stage company like this, you know, you're going to pay either a higher multiple because you believe in the future of the business and you may pay more as a result of that at the beginning. She's articulate. She knows what she's doing. She's really good. Look what she's, look how far she's come. Like, give her now, a break. Now, now, let me put it to you this way, Arlene. It's my money, right? It is your money. Do I'll what you do want, but I'm I, trying I, to give her with a... With all due respect, Arlene, I'll do my deals with my money the way I okay, want to do them. you can. I'm not going to offer you anything because I don't think you should give up any equity. I'm going to be out. Then there is one. Here's the thing. Sorry. I'm with Arlene. Don't take the deal. Thank you very much for your offer. But I'm going to decline. I understand. Good. Great product. She was just very early. Eileen, you're, ma you're making. Harder, huh? Sure, go ahead. You're making. I mean, go ahead. If whatever floats <laughs> your boat. I'm not ready to give up that much of the business. Still more work to do. <laughs> Listen, I had to play it all the way to the end because I also loved Kelly Fraser's yes. kiss to the yes. judges. Indeed. Now, the reason I wanted to play that portion of the clip because one, you turned down the deal. First of all, that was one of the most empowering things that I've been able to witness, you know, to see one of our indigenous, amazing entrepreneurs pioneering in the industry, say no to $125,000 for you to know your value and know your worth to say no, I wanted to highlight. Mm. And the way that you walked away smiling, I loved, I loved that clip. So by all means, share, what did you learn from that experience? So I always say everyone has to remember this, like the show is for entertainment, right? Um, I, but as an entrepreneur, sometimes we live in this fairy tale world that we think someone is going to come just like Prince Charming, as sad as this may sound, and say, oh my God goodness, this is the best business idea ever. Here is $2 million and I'm going to lead you down the garden path to the glorious business. And that's worth, you know, bazillions of dollars later. So that's really unrealistic, much like the whole Prince Charming scenario. Right. So I, um, always had hoped because like Arlene was like my favorite, that she would be the one to be that for me and say, I love everything about this. I'm going to give you all this money and help you do it all. Um, but the reality is there was still a lot of work to do. 
Um, I was way too early for an equity deal. So now that I know a lot more about investment, um, you never want to give too much of your business up that early because you lose complete control, mm. which is really, really scary, especially in a startup where your passion, purpose, why the reason your business exists needs to be navigated and sorted through by you, the founder. And if you have too many um, voices coming at you of how they think in the direction of the business, you're not going to be able to figure that out clearly. So it's really, really important that early on um, realizing, so I was working on Cheekbone probably for, oh my goodness, before that Dragonstone for three years while I worked a full-time job right? So every night, every weekend, Whoa. I am like just hustling to get things done and figure out how to build an online cosmetics business, but still had to work my full-time day job. I didn't get to quit my day job until August of 2019. So that was painful in itself, but that's what passion does. It really fuels you to keep going as hard as hard as it is. Um, but that whole ex entire experience was incredible in that it teaches you how to articulate your business who you are what you your business is all about um, and where you're trying to take the direction of your brand and understanding that early investment is not necessarily the best solution for any small business um, you want to you need money you need a lot of capital to build a business but there's other ways to figure out how to go how to go get that and just um, an equity deal is not the right one but uh, the most amazing part of this story, so I don't know how much people know, is going on to that taping of Dragon's Den that day, I already had a term sheet. So that's a deal that is literally not signed, but Raven Capital said, Jen, look, we believe in you. We believe in what you're trying to build with Cheekbone. And their offer was much better. It was $350,000 for zero equity. So what that meant was that $350,000 that they're willing to invest in Cheekbone was called seed money. They, they don't own any of the Cheekbone uh, at this moment. I still own all, most of the shares. I've given up three to another gentleman, but that is, um, was really important for me to give them up because I believe his, his skills and ability are really going to help us get to the next levels of the brand. But um, they're having that deal, that was empowering, knowing that an, indig an indigenous social impact fund has offered me this much money with no equity. So it was easy to turn them down that $120,000. Nice. It was easy to turn that down. Wow. Um, I'm just so inspired by your story here. I think as an entrepreneur, I think the way you articulate things, the way you share your life experience, um, I just, I really connect with. So I appreciate that amazing journey of the Dragon's Den, which was just 2019. So this is still very relevant. One of the other things that I wanted to uh, get into, I, I wish we had a little bit more time. Um, if we're able to get through it, great. But one of the things I wanted to discuss was mental health. Um, through entrepreneurship, you know, going through all those failures and those hurdles and those struggles, getting through the other side of your own personal life journey and the journey of your family and finding that balance. How do you maintain your mental health? That is, um, it's not always easy. <laughs> I can assure you that for sure. Cause there's a lot we're carrying. We carry a lot. And I say to people, I, I don't know if the rest of the world understands, but 
us as indigenous people, we have this enormous weight to want to succeed and it's not for ourselves. It's really unselfish. We want to succeed for the sake of our youth. And um, sometimes that does, it feels like a big weight and a responsibility that I'm so passionate about that I would never trade in for anything. But um, it's because it's, it's such, it's such an ingrained part of the purpose of the reason why I built Cheekbone Beauty. And, you know, I think I'm passionate about staying healthy myself, which is like daily exercise, trying to eat healthy, um, spending time with my family and getting a better handle on balance and work, um, which is really, really hard sometimes because I do love it. And there's so much to always do, like the work never ends. So you could work literally 24 seven, but you need the balance and, and figuring those things out. So I do encourage people as hard you know, building something is really, really hard, but it's not going to be the best you can build if you are not well. And that includes maintaining your mental, your mental health. Um, and I'm a big proponent of not only your mental health, it's mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. It's like that whole circle that makes you whole as a human mm. being. Um, you know, so I have a daily routine where I start off a spiritual routine every single day. It's been part of my sobriety routine from, from, from the moment that I gave up alcohol about like prayer, um, you know, going in, in, into the, you know, um, into nature and connecting every single day first before I do anything else. Uh, and then I, I go on with my day, but those things you need to have a solid, I, a solid foundation to build from and with any person who is trying to build something that is uh, of value, you need to make sure you're well and whole. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and I felt your emotions there when you were talking about, you know, how important it is for us to do this for our, our next generation. And, um, you know, that's really what got me where I'm at too, is, is learning about our history and understanding, you know, the opportunity that we can create for our future generation has to start with that healing of self, but then to help build our young people up, they're the next generation to move forward. And so I'm really passionate about that. And that's a big reason why I do this podcast is for this exact reason to like leave some type of, of trail behind of successful indigenous people. Um, I think that's an important thing to highlight as well is that it's not just the dark side of the history that you're learning about. It's also these incredible stories of incredible resilient indigenous entrepreneurs who have made it and doing what they love. And so I really wanted to make sure that we're celebrating indigenous people doing incredible things and their achievements. So one of the other things I'd love to hear from you, Jennifer, is um, what can men do to support our women? Oh, wow. That's a really great question. Um, I mean, there's lots, there's so much, but I think, you know, we're living in a really important time in history. I think we see that with everything that's going on around us in the world and men, you know, it's, I think listening right now is proving to be the best thing that any of us can do. Right. And then that's men included and maybe listening to your, your, whatever the women are in your life um, and really listening and then uh, asking more questions. <laughs> right on. Appreciate that. I think you're not the first one to say that listening 
is so important. So men pay attention. Listening is a good first step. We need to learn to listen to our women. So in closing, what's next for Jennifer Harper? Oh my goodness. So I'm so excited. I know we didn't even get to talk much about, but you know, when we talked about education, I really wanted to touch on everything that I've had to learn coming uh, and, and scientifically speaking, when it comes to raw ingredients and products and sustainability um, and that includes packaging. So learning about um, life cycle thinking. So the beginning of a product from the moment it comes from the ground or where it comes from to the end of life. And that includes the packaging and the raw ingredients. So there has been a ton of uh, education that I've had to do with cosmetic scientists and sustainability experts in that realm. And that's because we're building out this new version of Cheekbone Beauty. We launched the Sustain line back in March. We only have three shades there. COVID has put us back way farther than we want to be right now. Um, but uh, that line is being built out. We're actually creating a product that I'm the most excited about is our new foundation slash contour stick, where we're actually using agricultural waste or byproduct as the main ingredient. So making that whole idea of like a circular economy. So instead of something going in a landfill, we're repurposing it in a product and turned it into a usable, amazing ingredient that has made the most incredible foundation. So we cannot wait to launch that. Um, we, I have no dates on anything right now. So that is so frustrating as the leader of a company, but <laughs> we're, we're just, we know it's coming, but it's a matter of when. And I'm so excited to bring that to the world. Wow. So I have to ask in the cosmetic industry, is there anybody else who is doing a life cycle type of product, sustainable product in the cosmetic space? Would you be the first one? I don't know. And okay. I don't, I don't want to say that because okay. there's always the, and as an entrepreneur, I'm learning, there really are no new ideas. True. Like they're there. It's somebody's thought about it. They just haven't been as great mm. at marketing it. Right. So okay. I don't ever want to push that. I'm new at doing that. I just want to be like, I and you talk about responsibility, like right. showing our youth, yeah. building a business that is just not about dollars in the bottom line. Like, let's start to really care about people and the planet. Like, yes. we're destroying this. Like, and we're indigenous people. Like, they have mimicked nature for, for, for hundreds of years. And that meant in nature, there is nothing. Everything is recycled. Nature is perfectly balanced. Facts. And so indigenous people we know have been watching that for hundreds of years and mimicking everything they can from nature. And I really want to build a brand that that takes those concepts and ideas that literally you know thinks about the next generations in terms of what we're leaving them with right and that and that includes making better products so i'm so excited like i could talk forever about <laughs> that this line that we've been working on for a really long time and it takes we started working on this i think in 2018 the the concept so that's how long stuff really takes to develop um and uh but so excited again Another great story of resilience. Jennifer, I thank you so much for being here with us today, for blessing this No Blueprint podcast. So thank you for sharing your story, your gifts, your life experience. I'm really grateful. So again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's stay connected. Yes, for sure. All right, wash day and travel safe. Thank you.